0: Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome.
1: I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Cadabby, has nonverbal autism.
0: And I now call this firty- meeting of Spew to order. Forty-first, that's how that word is said.
1: Sounded like the Muppet Chef.
0: 31st. 31st. Hello, Lavender.
1: (laughs) Hello, Queerness.
0: How are you today?
1: Oh, I'm fine this morning. How are you?
0: I'm okay. I woke up late yesterday and my phone didn't charge and I needed gas. It was all good.
1: (laughs) You had a lot happen as soon as you woke up. Yeah. Yesterday was Papa Bear's birthday.
0: Well, happy birthday.
1: Thank you. I'll be sure to tell when you said
0: it. So important dates coming up. First half of May. May 9th is Mother's Day. And May 2nd is the Battle of Hogwarts. Sad. As such, lots of deaths. But before we get into that, we got a couple real world deaths to talk about. Helen McCrory, who played Narcissa Malfoy, died on april 16th from cancer uh she has a 14 year old daughter and a 13 year old son
1: it's really sad
0: yes which i don't know which one of them is to blame but she was originally cast as bellatrix and had to turn it down because she was pregnant
1: hmm. i can't imagine anybody but helena Bonham carter playing bellatrix but true i yeah but i think helen mccrory would have still done well
0: tom felton posted a lengthy paragraph So sad to say farewell, so suddenly, I never took the chance to tell her, but she helped shape me as a person so much on and off screen. She was always relentlessly herself. Razor-sharp wit, silver-tongued, kind and warm-hearted, she suffered no fools yet had time for everyone. Thank you for the lighting the way and holding my hand when I needed it. Two X's. Kiss kiss. And Jason Isaacs, much, much longer. Decades ago, (laughs) Helen and I auditioned together for a film. I came home and said to Emma, I think I just met the greatest actress I've ever seen. After years of watching her mesmerize audience, I don't think that anymore, I know it. Luckily, I eventually found out that she was what is this made up word?
1: scarbroously Scarbrously.
0: Scabrously? Scabrously funny, shockingly naughty, and with an empathetic heart the size of a planet. As continually starstruck as I was on the Harry Potter films, being screen married to and giggling with the great Helen McCrory will always be a highlight. Her proudest achievement, though, was building and loving the family that was her bedrock they've lost so much and I send all of my love to Damien and the kids. Three X's. More kisses. (laughs) And then also Paul Ritter who played Eldred Warple in Half-Blood Prince died on April 7th from a brain tumor as well. Mm. In fiction, deaths in first part of May here. May 1st, bogrod which is a he's a um goblin that i believe only died in the movie may 2nd being the battle of hogwarts we have Gabior crab and or goyle depending on if you're reading the book or watching the movie <laughs> fred weasley remus lupin nymphadora tonks colin creevy lavender brown severus snape bellatrix Lestrange the Tom Riddle, and Nagini. (laughs) Birth dates, uh, Victoire Weasley is May 2nd, and Pomona Sprout on the 15th. And real world birthday, May 13th is Abby Cadabby's birthday.
1: Yep, she's getting big. How big is she? (laughs) She will be 11.
0: That's... that's yes. That's big. Alrighty. Lavender, what are we talking about today?
1: So today we are gonna talk about the wonderful little documentary
0: speed cubers yeah so I, going into this i really wasn't sure what to expect and this ended up being a very good choice Mhm,
1: i agree because i did i didn't know what to expect either at all
0: i loved it yeah so if you've been following along you know i've kind of recently got into speed cubing myself and um not very good. I'm like averaging just around a minute a solve, but I'm getting better. That's
1: not bad. That's not bad.
0: But Rubik's Cubes tend to be an unofficial symbol of autism. I, I tried to find more information or try to find something to back this up. And I couldn't really find anything. But there are things where this kind of just comes up. Like the opening scene of The Good Doctor. It starts with him washing his hands, and then rearranging his Rubik's Cubes. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a thing I've been interested in. But this documentary basically just follows two of some of the best speed cubers in the world, and their friendship, and one of them, Max Park, just happens to have autism. So I thought I would start with just giving a little bit of just general information about the Rubik's Cube. It was created by Erno Rubik in Hungary in 1974. He originally called it the Magic Cube. The original version was wooden and took him about a month to solve. Took him another like two or three months to come up with like a way to solve it consistently before he was willing to actually try to sell it. And it sold very small as the Magic Cube in Hungary. And then when it got picked up for international licensing, In 1980 is when they changed the name to Rubik's Cube, which he wasn't very fond of the name, but didn't really fight it or have a choice in the matter.
1: Why wouldn't you want it named
0: after you? Why would you want it named after you? But why wouldn't you? (laughs) Why would you? (laughs) Anyway, um, a year later, 1981, Guinness actually organized the first championship in Munich. And then in 1982, the first official Rubik's Cube World Championship took place in Budapest. Um, This one was a best-of-three competition. And this was the last official World Championship until 2003. In 2003, the World Cube Association formed and began holding World Championships every two years. This first one took place in Toronto. And this is where it kind of changed a little bit in in the documentary they kind of hid this a little bit. They actually do 5 solves and then they average the middle 3 solves to get the score for the competition.
1: Oh. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. That was kind of hidden.
0: Yeah, they they made it seem like it was just an average of three in the documentary, but there's actually five total solves. Now, one of the things that actually led to this being possible is in 2000, the original patent ran out. So that meant there is now a lot more manufacturers making cubes and improving on the original mechanisms, allowing them to be much, much faster and efficient than the original and official Rubik's cubes are. Also, just kind of a fun fact here Rubik's advertises over 3 billion combinations and only one solution. This is actually quite inaccurate because (laughs) the actual number is well over 43 quintillion.
1: My brain does not even compute.
0: (laughs) So, a little bit about the subjects of this documentary. Uh, We have Felix Zemdegs, he was born in 95. Started speed cubing around 2008, and in 2010, he broke the 3x3 world record with 9.21 seconds. He then went on to break his own record eight more times, ending up with 6.45 seconds in 2017. He is also the only person to win the world championship twice, winning in both 2013 and 2015, so two competitions in a row, in 3x3. And then our other subject is Max Park. He was born in 2001. He was diagnosed with autism at age 2 and started cubing around the age 10. And then in 2017, he broke the 3x3 world record previously owned by Felix at 6.39 seconds. He also won the 3x3 world championship in 2017, breaking Felix Emdegs' winning streak. And he currently holds nine world records. So the 4x4 average, 5x5 average and single, 6x6 average and single, 7x7 average and single, and the 3x3 one-handed average and single.
1: I like how when he was introduced, they showed, like, he just went on YouTube and filmed a video of him solving it one-handed.
0: I noticed, and this is not just him, um, but he does this one-handed, but most, whenever you watch videos of people in competition, they do a solve, and immediately, the first thing they do is they grab another cube and solve it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Whenever Max does this, he does the second one one-handed.
1: Oh, I didn't
0: notice that. He solves probably four. 50 one-handed within this 45-minute documentary. Like, he's just constantly got one in his hand.
1: Yeah, he's constantly cubing.
0: So, this specific documentary, it's a Netflix documentary called The Cubers* and was filmed in 2019 around the championship held in Melbourne, which is near where Felix lives. Max lives in the U.S., and Felix lives in Australia. And I really was not sure what to expect going into this but it was surprisingly as a whole the documentary was just more about their friendship than anything else.
1: Yeah it really was.
0: The first thing I kind of noticed about it as I was watching it they were really teasing his disability for a very long time just like drawing it out trying to take as long as possible before like the big reveal. I found it just mildly irritating (laughs) but basically his parents started cubing with him as a way to kind of build fine motor skills but also as a bonding activity because it was something that they could do together
1: Mm -hmm. i thought that was really sweet
0: even his first competition it was just kind of an experiment in taking him out in a social outing to do something that he enjoyed doing
1: Mm -hmm. which uh you know honestly seeing max's parents and seeing them in the documentary, it really made me, I don't know how to explain it, but it just, it made me think that the parents themselves were so brave for even, you know, saying all of this on camera because I can see how, you know, people could take this Even just that sentence, you know, really his first competition was an experiment in a social outing for us. I can see how people would take that and make it sound so wrong.
0: And there was, there was several things that his parents said that I did not really like, but at the same time, like, I get it.
1: Right, exactly. And they were just very upfront and honest. And I just, I really have to commend them for their bravery on even being able to, to want to do this documentary. And be on camera because I couldn't do it. But I agree. There were some things they said that I was like, "Oh man, groan.
0: I, I was very confused by um, when they took him to this competition, they kept saying that he was pointing at people and how excited they were that they, he was pointing at people. And I'm like, I'm not familiar with this concept, but also, I was not allowed to point at people. I got yelled at when I pointed at people. <laughs>
1: So that one is actually one that I did completely understand because for the longest time, Abby wouldn't point and Max is verbal. So it wasn't as, I don't think that it would be as critical of a quote unquote skill to have, but you know, with Abby being nonverbal, if she, you know, if we're in the kitchen and she wants something, I want her to be able to point to it at the very least. Mm -hmm. And this was before she had her iPad to talk, you know, this is a precursor to being able to use an iPad for speech being able to point to what you want so i can kind of see that and if max was not pointing before this and then all of a sudden he is pointing it shows that he has you know he has an interest and he is fully aware of what's going on around him and i'm sure his parents probably didn't really know that till then right i can see why that was a big moment for them like oh okay they just didn't have anything that motivated him enough to want a point
0: (laughs) before that and on kind of a, a similar note there's a point a little bit later on where he's at another competition and he places and when he's up at the podium he notices how everyone else is holding their stuff and he like readjusts so that he's holding it all the same way mm-hmm. and his dad says "And now, autistic kid looking at a peer and mimicking is like the ultimate goal
1: yeah
0: i didn't like that one i didn't like <laughs> that at all i was very confused by this and i was like i, I-, I- <sighs> Again, I I get it, but I also... I really didn't like this one.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. I really didn't like it either, but I also get it. But I also... uh, I think that as autism parents learn... Because autism parenting is a lot different, you know, in the year 2021 than it was even just 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of information out there. And I think that it's easy for people to find, you know... Maybe older information, especially like older medical, I guess, and what we would consider a big goal, like an Mm -hmm. autistic kid looking at a peer and mimicking. That was a big deal 10 years ago, trying to get the, the kids to just, you know, assimilate, for lack of a better word, and want, you know, to fit in with their peers. And now I think we're starting to realize, like, you know, fitting in with your peers is not the ultimate goal. Sometimes these peers are, are dumb, or they're not good people, and we don't necessarily want to mimic them. And that's what I think it was. I think maybe the parents just need some more up-to-date information on autism.
0: Bless them. <laughs> that's all. Now, another thing that, that happened was he was trying to beat a specific time in one of the competitions, And when he didn't succeed at this, he did have a bit of a breakdown. And in the documentary, they really kind of played up how the parents were, like, so worried about him handling it. But the way he handled it, he went off on his own, he cried, and then returned and continued the competition. Yeah,
1: that one threw me, too. Because, like, I mean, all he did was cry. Like, literally, that's all he did. And I understand because at this point in the movie, he was a little bit older. I don't think he was 16 yet, but he was, you know... A, mm-hmm. a young teenager. And I understand his parents maybe not wanting him, maybe not wanting everybody to see him crying, because there's a little social stigma around that for bol- for older boys,
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: might not want to subject him to any teasing or anything that would come from that, but like literally that's all he did was cry. But I think they did it well. I mean, he started to cry and they were like, hey, why don't we step outside, Max, for a minute? And he had his little cry and he went back in. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it was that bad. Good for Max. <laughs> for handling a difficult loss and handling it well.
0: And then that is I noticed on when we got to the actual tournament that was the intended focus of this documentary. Max had a hard time waking up on tournament day. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know. I've I've had moments where I've been like that and I've had other moments where oh it's it's the day this is gonna happen, I'm up two hours early. <laughs> then another, this was just a fun little thing of, actually it was quiet and so you you may not even have heard it. But before the competition began, there was just like this little montage of little kids running up to get their photograph taken with Max. Yeah, it was so cute. And about three or four of these little video clips and he's smiling the whole time. And while smiling, he goes, my teeth are hurting. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) All those pictures, that was cute.
0: I also really like, there was a moment where they were showing them filming a, it was the two of them and they were filming a promo video for some competition. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, basically they gave Felix all of the main lines and Max was just supposed to agree with him, essentially. Right. But he put the wrong inflection on his one line and turned it into a question. Mm. And I loved it so much.
1: I think Felix did so great there. <laughs> he
0: was such a good friend. But oddly, the the thing about this that I really was not expecting was how emotional I became because neither of them made the top three.
1: That's why you became emotional? Because they didn't make the top three?
0: Oh, was that not the reason you became emotional?
1: No, I just became emotional because it was a beautiful story and a wonderful friendship.
0: Well, it was because neither of them made that top three and they were both sad for each other. Right. And it was also just, like, very disappointing because there's a lot of hype and build up to them.
1: Man, up until that last second, it was so built up. I, like, I was literally, like, holding my breath on Max's last turn. I was like, (gasps) he's gonna get it. He's gonna get it. Ugh.
0: And it was edited very well where they gave you enough information through people just like randomly whispering in the background to explain to you exactly what needed to happen for him to win. And Yeah. But they also did kind of hide the fact, I mean, they didn't hide it, but they didn't spend a lot of time on the fact that he did win like five other competitions at that tournament. But the only one that matters was the three by three.
1: It's a three by three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He broke like... I think at the at the worlds he, he broke more world records there too. Yes. So it's not like it was like the whole competition was just shot. Just like no, the only one that they care about
0: at all is the three x three. Although this was the first tournament in like three years that Felix didn't actually place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: In anything.
1: And then it kind of made me sad at the end when they were like, "Felix got a job in finance." I was like, "No." <laughs>
0: Yeah, this was not the WCA tournament, but the Red Bull tournament from this last year that was completely digital using smart cubes. Mm-hmm. It came down to the two of them again, and Max won. But they, they, really? but it was just the two of them. Yep,
1: hmm. perfect. So,
0: you have anything else to say?
1: I thought this was a well-done documentary, and I need more.
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot to get trivia again.
1: Oh no. <laughs> I thought
0: you were just hiding it. No. I was like, I'll come back to that, and then I never do. <laughs> this is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. All right, let's talk about some Wizarding World news. All right. We've got a good amount of stuff going on. Uh, in not news, J.K. Rowling is publishing a new story called The Christmas Pig in October. Okay. <laughs> is
1: that a British thing?
0: I don't... I don't know. I don't know. When it comes to this stuff, it's like, I don't know if this is a wizard thing or a British thing, or if it's just some nonsense she made up. It could be any of those. Okay. New Fantastic Beasts characters leaked to various fan sites. You have Polaris Malfoy leaked a Muggle net. Professor Sally Addio, a magizoologist at Ilvermorny, was leaked to a French fan site called La Gazette du Sorcier, <laughs> and Professor Lola Daisy was leaked to the Leaky Cauldron site, who is also a potions master at Ilvermorny. And then it turns out that all of these leaks were an elaborate April Fool's prank. What? <laughs> like it's not even a good prank. It's so dumb. <laughs> I don't get it. I feel gypped. (laughs) Updates? Justice for Johnny Depp was trending. He brought forward some new evidence. So this is in response to testimony that during one of the incidences, he threw wine bottles and vases and trashed the apartment and left wine and glass shards all over the place. Mm -hmm. The evidence that he brought forward was police body cam footage showing a clean apartment. Uh,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> the problem with this footage is the first officer that responded immediately did not have a body cam. This was an officer apparently who's like a domestic abuse specialist. But then two hours later, a regular officer showed up for a follow-up, and this was the person who was wearing the body cam. So... The footage is from two whole hours after the incident.
1: hmm
0: Now, the argument here is if there was wine all over the place, this should be apparent because the carpets were white. But wine can be clear, so...
1: Wine can be clear and it, it can be got up with a damp towel and some soda water in two hours. Okay, well, yeah. sorry, Johnny Depp, that was not good evidence. <laughs> N-
0: and that's... You know, we, we get evidence that he lied about her, and no one talks about it. We get crappy evidence that she lied about him, and everyone's jumping on his side again. No. No people. These are both terrible people. Exactly. Moving on. They
1: probably both did terrible things. Neither one is right. Ugh. Yes. <laughs>
0: We have a opening date for the Harry Potter store New York finally June 3rd.
1: Woohoo! Wish you could see me. I'm doing like a crazy Kermit dance. I'm so happy.
0: <laughs> this store is three stories tall. It will have a Lima store within the store, and there's actually going to be two virtual reality experiences. One of them is called Chaos at Hogwarts, and the other one's called Wizards Take Flight. They will not be available at the store's opening, though. I'm sure that's uh, COVID-related, that they're going to hold off on those. And they released a few photos of inside. The top floor is cool, because, like, it's got the griffin that's Dumbledore's office. Overall, building looks neat. There's lots of statues of mythical beasts.
1: Lots of ways for me to spend my money.
0: Yes. In new news, a copy of Prisoner of Azkaban sold for 1,100 pounds. I
1: feel like that's kind of low.
0: Um, kind of. The um, The estimate was between 500 and 800 pounds. This specific copy, it was just like a paperback copy of Prisoner of Azkaban, so the book itself wasn't really particularly impressive. Oh. It, it was a gift from Martin Bayfield, who played... Hagrid's body double Mm -hmm. to someone named Sam, so don't know who that is, but Martin Bayfield actually gifted this book, so his signature's in it, but it also contains signatures from Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Tom Felton, Michael Gambone, Robbie Coltrane, and Robert Hardy.
1: Yeah, then I feel like 1,100 pounds is definitely a little low, even though the book's paperback.
0: And it's, you know, not in the best condition. Uh, Michael Gambone's signature got a little bit wet.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. What a find. Was there any mention on where it was found?
0: No, because the only thing that we have is that they said that it was a gift and that it was collaborated with stories to say that that is where it came from. But who actually sold it and where they got it from, not sure.
1: Hmm, Okay.
0: Lego Harry Potter is celebrating 20th anniversary, and we've got several new releases. We have a almost 600-piece Articulate Fox. Oh, wow. Got a set of Harry and Hermione 10-inch minifigures. So these look just like the miniature characters, but they're 10 inches tall and actually made of Lego pieces. So this set has 1,600 pieces for the two of them. Mm. And... We have six sets that are specific to this 20th anniversary that contain a golden minifigure and collectible chocolate frog card tiles. So they're actually like Lego chocolate frog cards, but there are 16 different ones to collect. The first set, there's a flying lesson set, which is $28, includes a gold quirl, three additional minifigures, two of these cards, The Chess Set is $65, includes a Golden Snape, three other minifigures, and three of these cards. Hogsmeade Visit, which includes Honeydukes and three Broomsticks with six minifigures, four of these cards. Golden Ron, that one's $69. Uh, Fluffy and the Trap Door is $39, includes a Golden Hermione, three other minifigures, and two cards. Polyjuice Potion, which is... The bathroom includes three minifigures with two wigs and a cat head. Gold Harry and two cards. And finally, a Chamber of Secrets set for $130, which this one is a big one. So it's actually got a great hall set. It has Lockhart's classroom and office, ten minifigures, a basilisk, bunch of props, six collectible cards, and a golden Voldemort. So, yay! I don't know why the Lego stuff always makes me so excited, but I always get so excited when they announce new Legos.
1: Yeah, the Chamber of Secret one sounds nice.
0: The Italian covers were redesigned by architect Michel Lucci. And so this is a series of new covers that reimagines them with a focus on modern architecture. So lots of pointy buildings. I don't like them. You don't like them? No. Okay. And closing out our news, I've got just this fun story of a professor, Dr. Matthew Snape. (laughs) Professor Snape works at the University of Oxford and is working on a study on mixing and matching COVID vaccine doses to see if, if you get one of one and then your second dose of another one, if it is just as effective. Or theoretically, he's hoping it's going to be more effective. So thank you, Professor Snape.
1: I bet you thought you'd never say that.
0: Well, if you would like to join our conversation, you can send us a owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a howler. You can send us a voice memo there. You can click the link in the description or give us a call in the U.S. at 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739.
1: You can also check us out on spewpod.uk. We're on Twitter at Spectrum People facebook.com slash spewcast we're also on instagram at spewpod is our handle there and we are also on tiktok at spewcast
0: and as always we want to thank joan burr for our theme music and until next time i'm querinus
1: and i'm lavender
0: and as luna lovegood says don't worry you're just as sane as i am Bye. bye